you're listening to the Down East Mike Podcast, the quirky little podcast from me. And now, your host, Down East Mike. Whoa, Down East Mike. Good morning, everybody. This is Down East Mike. Welcome to the Down East Mike Podcast, episode 51, News and Commentary, August 22nd in the year 2022. This is... The Down East Mike podcast originating out of Down East, Maine, way down east, along the coast. And we are officially categorized as comedy. I caution you against that. We are not intentionally funny. If you do find yourself smiling or on the verge of laughter, please restrain yourself. We intend to be serious, sort of. So... If you're new to the podcast, what we do is we look at things from uh, we look at things from today, yesterday, and in between, and we just note and marvel at the fact that things don't change much at all over the years. And we as humans document that in our silly newspapers, and it's if things don't change too much. Some of this is whimsy, some of it's true, and the interpretation of it all is entirely up to you. If you're just getting up today and you want to know what the headlines are before you open up your TV or phone, your smart device, your eye thing, uh, let's look at some of the headlines. Uh, Arkansas Troopers launch investigation after viral video. I don't know what that's about. Russia pounds Ukraine. Zelensky warns of attacks ahead of Independence Day. Liz Cheney says she's disgusted about the Mar-a-Lago raid. The Indiana governor is visiting Taiwan following other high-profile U.S. visits. Everybody wants to go to Taiwan. Dad of Little Leaguer who fractured his skull is hopeful of full recovery. So the way they write that, we don't know if the dad hopes for a full recovery or his child does. Dennis Rodman's going to Russia to seek the release of Brittany Griner. Dennis Rodman's a wonderful ambassador for the country. And Biden Secretary, uh, Biden Energy Secretary Granholm is mocked for touting a 30% tax credit on solar panels. Those are the international headlines. We'll look at the main headlines. Um, If there's anything happening in Maine, a hiker dies after fall on New Hampshire mountain. Well, that's sad. Shouldn't climb mountains. It's not exactly a Maine headline. A new study cautions over-interpreting influence of climate on cultural change and catastrophe. Wells woman dies in a fatal car crash. And it's just not much local news. That's okay. We won't worry about that. In today's episode, uh, episode number 51 uh, from 1973, Nixon gives a hard shove. There's a stolen piggy bank. Uh, a fella has a turtle on his head from 1889. We have Maine's mineral of the moment today. But let's look at our word of the day. Quidnunc. Q-U-I-D. 
N-U-N-C. It's a noun, quidnunc. And the definition of quidnunc is a person who seeks to know all the latest news or gossip, a busybody. Do you have a quidnunc in your life? Synonyms for quidnunc include a circulator, gossip, gossip monger, newsmonger, tale teller, yenta. I didn't know yenta. Did you know what's new? That's a question every busybody wants answered. Latin-speaking noisy parkers might have used some version of the expression quidnunc, literally what now, to ask the same question. Appropriately, the earliest documented English use of quidnunc referred to a gossiper, and that appeared in 1709 in Sir Richard Steele's famous periodical, The Tattler. I remember The Tattler. I wasn't around then, but I remember it. Steele is far from the only writer to apply quidnunc in his prose. However, you can also find the word among the pages of works by such writers as Washington Irving and Nathaniel Hawthorne. Got all choked up over that one. So first used in 1709, quidnunc. There are quidnuncs among us. Uh, happy birthday today to Christine in Township Number Twelve, Maine. Christ, uh, uh, Kristen, sorry, she'll be thirty-eight today. She makes wreaths most of the year, and she also raises bees. It says, "Happy birthday to George of Up in Callis." George turns eighty-five today. He worked for the Coast Guard for quite a long time, and now doesn't go out in the water if he can help it. Good old George, we, we appreciate him. On this day in 1973, Nixon was in the news, as, as always. His efforts to launch a Watergate counteroffensive were marred by a rare flash of public anger. President Nixon was described by AIDS Tuesday as pondering ways to speak out on vital issues facing the nation. Outside a New Orleans Convention Hall on Monday, an obviously irritated president gave press secretary Ronald Ziegler a hard shove with orders to straighten out confusion over which door the press should use. The incident was filmed by network television camera crews and it came after a reported assassination plot forced Nixon to cancel plans to ride in a motorcade through downtown New Orleans. Now, a little anecdotal story there. I remember a third-party story, but it was a former undersecretary of the Interior under the Nixon administration, and he was recounting a tale uh, where uh, the in the motorcade, um, a preceding the motorcade was a, a, a motorcycle cop, and he'd, he'd fallen off this bike, and he was down the ground, and Nixon got out to, to go speak to the man, and he he was kind of awkward in public, and as he got up to him, Nixon didn't know what to say, and here's this injured cop lying underneath his motorcycle, and Nixon looks at, at him, and he says, well, how do you like your job anyway? And that's like every every manager I ever worked for. How do you like your job anyway? Andre Sakharov, a physician who helped develop the Soviet H-bomb, said Tuesday that if the West accepts detente on Soviet terms, it might have to deal with a Russia armed to the teeth. Nice to know things have changed there. 
Sakharov criticized Western businessmen for focusing on the attempt to get from us gas and oil, ignoring all other aspects of the problem. By liberating us from problems we can't solve ourselves, we could concentrate on the accumulation of strength as a result, and the whole world would be disarmed in facing our uncontrollable bureaucratic apparatus. Things have not changed much at all. Food costs were up in July 1973, this time in 1973. Food prices went up in July despite the administration's price freezes, but other consumer prices were brought almost to a standstill, the government was announcing just yesterday. The Labor Department Consumer Price Index for July showed that prices generally increased 2% down sharply from the average monthly increase of 0.6% during the first six months of the year. But food prices rose 0.8% considerably above what was expected during the freeze, although it was down from previous months. And I think they gave us something. He cited the specific example of chicken, which he said has declined from a top of about 74 cents per pound wholesale after the freeze was uh, put in place to about 53 to 55 cents per pound this week. He said the object of phase four has been to spread spread out the so-called price bulge so that all prices don't reach their peak at once. That apparently has worked in the case of chicken. This is of some advantage to consumers. There we go. Uh, Dunlap said during the first week of phase four, 67 big firms notified the administration of their intention to increase prices on a total of about 110 product lines after the required 30-day waiting period. Big deals with inflation in 1973. Also in 1973 on this day, there was a piggy bank, a report of a piggy bank being stolen from a closet in Rockland, Maine. A large plastic piggy bank containing approximately $100 in coins was stolen from the home of Dr. and Mrs. Bruce Stratton on Talbot Ave sometime on Monday, police are saying. The police report the large bank was the only item taken in the break. The piggy bank was kept in an upstairs bedroom closet. Chief Maurice Benner said the break occurred sometime between 4 and 8 p.m. on Monday. Entrance was gained by breaking a cellar window. The intruder went directly to the closet where the piggy bank was kept. Nothing else appeared to be missing. Thankfully, Detective Lewis Lewis is investigating, and that detective's name was L-O-U-I-S, L-E-W-I-S. His parent parents must not have liked him very much, much. Okay, uh, what else from that day? Police on both sides of the Penobscot River came in for a thorough physical workout at virtually the same time early Tuesday morning and two entirely unrelated incidents. In Brewer State and local police trailed eight miles after a resilient motorist believed to be highly intoxicated. While in Bangor, city police were called out to contain a man who was thought to be threatening a South Park Street resident. Much sweat and a cracked jaw later, both men were in custody and facing a couple of charges apiece 
but in each case, an, an observation period at Bangor State Hospital was later ordered. In the Brewer incident, Sergeant Charles Schumann related that he and three other officers, Corporal Urban Dyer and Patrolman John Page and George Layton, went looking just after 12.30 a.m. for a driver who struck a large elm on North Main Street and then took off. So they chased him for eight miles out onto Bradley Road into Eddington, but it was Trooper Bernard Lindsay who caught up with the man, responding to a report of a, a terrific clatter going by along the highway. Trooper Lindsay arrested one Arthur Voisine, 41, in his driveway on charges of operating under the influence. Boisine reportedly had driven his virtually demolished 1966 sedan eight miles with one of the front wheels reduced to nothing more than a shattered hub. Sergeant Schumann later summoned the man for leaving the scene of an accident. The case wasn't over there. According to Sergeant Schumann, it required physical force to take custody of Voisine and get him into a cell at the Penobscot Jail. The Bangor incident was painful, as if that previous one wasn't. Responding to a complaint of a possible threat against a South Park Street resident, three officers went to question a man identified as Amos Dupre, standing in a doorway on the street in question. Can you imagine Amos standing there with a, maybe a six-shooter on his hip, smoking a cigarette, leaning back against the wall? Dupre allegedly refused to cooperate with the police officers and ended up struggling with them in the melee that followed. Patrolman Joseph Fernland caught a smart one across the jaw. An x-ray later revealed that the jaw was cracked. Dupre was charged with disorderly conduct and assault on one officer. What good times. Uh, what else do we have from that time? Actually, I confess I hadn't really read that story previous, and I, I would, I had assumed that the uh, the prisoner was on the with a cracked jaw, not the cop. So it was quite revealing to actually read it. All right. So what do we have here? We have uh, this is uh, oh Miss Jane Knapp. This is from eighteen eighty four. This day, Miss Jane Knapp of Leeds, a maiden lady of nearly eighty years, has within the past two weeks, carried in from her dooryard and piled up in her woodshed three cords of wood. She has accomplished this by taking five sticks at a time in her arms. Miss Knapp is one of the most energetic women of her age in the vicinity. She can still walk two or three miles, almost as quick as a girl, and with apparently but little fatigue. She has always made a practice of walking whenever she wanted to go, wherever she wanted to go, and this fact no doubt partly accounts for her longevity and vigor. Well, that's a wonderful story. And let's see, we also have from Camden, a little blurb, a number of men from here are going to Florida this winter with the intention of setting there if they like, well, of course. Uh, work in Bland's shipyard is being pushed. The vessel now on the stocks will be ready to launch in about a month. She's going to be commanded by Captain Wixon of Dennis, Mass. Several families from the village, this is Camden, have camped this season on the shores of Cannon Lake in Lincolnville and are loud in their praises of that locality. A movement is, in fact, 
on underfoot to build a colony of cottages on the shores of that lake. This is 1889. Uh, the post office in Gorham was broken into. $40 worth of stamps were stolen. No clue as to the thief. Uh, the large uh, one-story wooden barn of Allswood Hool, located in what is known as Mills Lane, was burned. There were some horses and pigs lost in that, a lot of hay and other property. It's important we know this stuff. Cows were stolen from Charles Westcott of Standish. And the seal proposals for furnishing supplies to the national homes for disabled soldiers were uh, was opened at the office of the president Wednesday. Among the contracts awarded was one to J.W. Estes and son of Augusta, Maine, for 10,000 pairs of shoes. They made a lot of shoes in Maine at the time. From Freedom, um, Reverend Mr. Jones and his wife have gone to Northport for a fortnight's vacation. Isn't that something? Fuller Brothers have probably uh, filled, have well-filled barns as well as any in the vicinity, but consider, considerable of it is old hay. They cut last year 150 loads and this year 109 loads. What are you going to do with that old hay? Um, we have any other stories here? I don't know. Superintendent Wells of Livermore with a crew of men are repairing and widening the canal at the old mill site at Rumford Falls preparatory to the erection of a board mill, uh, says the Canton Telephone, well, where that story came from. And the house occupied by Mr. Robert Davis on Main Street was entered by some person uh, by means of a ladder Monday night and about $40 stolen from his pockets. His pants were found outside at the foot of the ladder in the morning. Probably the, <clears throat> the father of the guy that stole the piggy bank from the doctor in 1973. From the Lewiston Evening Journal of 1877, it is noticeable, although we have been having what are called hard times for the past few years, that there has been little or no decline in land in this vicinity. Houses are cheaper, but land has kept at steady rates. Store lots on Lisbon Street are held as firmly as they were in the inflated times of the war. Talking about the Civil War. If you go on any of our prominent streets for a house lot, you'll find the views of the owner are as firm as the eternal hills. Even outside lots are not given away. Three quarters of an acre of land on Upper Turner Street, three quarters of a mile from the bridge, was sold a few days since for nearly $4,000. I don't think it's that much an acre right now. The tendencies of these firm prices is to drive people of small means still further out of town where good lots may be had at less price. But there's one difficulty in the way of populating our suburban territory, the want of horse cars. The time is not far distant when horse cars will be required. There you have it. We apprehend that owners of suburban lands would do a good thing for themselves as well as for the people by beginning to work up a company for the planting of horse car lines. 1877, the big cry for roads to, to have their horse carts on. Also on this day, there was a report out of New York that Dr. Draper and Professor Holden 
had discovered a third satellite of Mars, jointly discovered that, at Dr. Draper's private observatory at Hastings on the Hudson. Dr. Draper, of course, he was the uh, astronomer, took one of the first pictures of the moon, 1840. I don't know what happened to that third moon of Mars in the meantime. Right now, they only have two there. Uh, General Grant has gone to Scotland. It's the gossipy news. Senator Morton's improving. Brigham Young is very low and not expected to live, 1877. President Hayes made a number of medals, which he'll present to each officer and soldier of his old command at the Veterans Reunion in Fremont, Ohio, I think it was. A new company called the Patented Riveted, Riveted Moccasin Company has just been organized in this state. The factory at which these moccasins are manufactured is located at North Anson, and at present the company have orders for over $10,000 worth of moccasins. We have a story kind of not from the same day, but 1889, a San Jose man becomes insane at Pomona. He imagines that he has a large turtle perched on his head. Andrew Goodrich, who has been a ranchman near Panoma and who owns over $70,000 worth of business property in San Jose, has gone insane. For several weeks, he has given evidence of a feeble mind and has acted strangely. His hallucination is very odd. He believes that he has burned property belonging to his neighbors and that vigilantes are seeking for his life. He also believes that he has a large turtle placed upon his head. For hours he sits or stands stock still for fear any movement of his body will cause the turtle to drop to the ground. Physicians believe that he has become permanently insane and he has been removed to a private asylum. Captain W.D. Daly, formerly of San Jose, but latterly the editor of the San Margarita Times, has been granted a pension of $24 a month with back pay, amounting to a considerable sum for injuries received while in the Calvary service under General Custer in the Shenandoah Valley in 1864. The captain has now taken a brief vacation in San Francisco. It's said the pension will soon be raised to $30 a month. In 1889, uh, from San Francisco, we have the story of uh, this morning, the custom officers boarded the steamer Empire, which arrived from B.C., British Columbia, and after a careful search found 100 boxes of opium concealed under the boiler plates in the engine room. The seizure is valued at $700. They were smuggling opium then. Who, who knew? And here's a story of a woman was ruined by morphine, the pitiable condition of a former resident of San Jose. Among the prisoners transferred from the Folsom Street Station to the old city hall yesterday afternoon was the wreck of a once handsome woman, says the examiner. She was elegantly attired, but her raiment was disordered, her hat was awry, and a heavy head of golden hair was disheveled and hung down her back. She walked with a limp and a stagger, and when she was booked on a charge of drunkenness, she began to cry. 
The name entered on the prison register was Mrs. F. H. Prey. She is the same woman who mystified the city receiving hospital attaches on Wednesday morning. She was not treated as the ordinary female drunkard is. She was hysterical and placed in the female ward of the hospital where an opioid was given to quiet her nerves. She stated that her maiden name was Maggie Riddell and she was raised in this city. Some years ago, she met and married Frank Prey, the photographer. Shortly after marriage, she contracted rheumatism and in order to alleviate the pain, began to use whiskey and brandy. She soon became so accustomed to the stimulants that they had very little effect on her. She then substituted morphine and is now confirmed in the use of that drug. And for some time past, she's made her home with her mother in San Jose, came to this city last Tuesday to make some purchases. She had 12 or $13 in money, but lost it in some way while being intoxicated. The woman denies that she and her husband are divorced or that they are even separated. Because her health is better there, she resides in San Jose, she says. And she says she visits her husband regularly. In regard to adventures of last Wednesday morning, she says that after she left the Grand Hotel, she went to several other houses, but none of them would receive her. And she then secured a room in the Baldwin house on Ellis Street, where she remained until yesterday morning. She then drank a couple of cocktails and went out to look for a private boarding house. The first place she stopped was on Mission Street near 4th, and there the landlady, instead of showing her rooms, said she was drunk and sent for a policeman. Uh, also from this time, a number of, they had the dance of the lunatics. A number of ladies and gentlemen from San Jose went out to the insane asylum last evening to attend the dance given to the patients of the asylum. The invented guests were expected to act as partners for their patients in the dances. So I'll probably be attending one of those soon myself. Kiss Me Mama. Uh, Lizzie Case speaks for the first time in nine weeks. Lizzie Case, the 14-year-old girl who's been in a trance for nearly nine weeks in Oakland, regained consciousness for a brief moment yesterday. One of the ladies who was in the room with the little sufferer noticed the child gazing at her in a peculiar manner. The little one was asked if she wanted to see her mother. To the surprise of everyone, she said, Yes, kiss me, Mama. She did not speak again, and at present, her condition is the same as ever. Well, those are all our stories that we had for today. Let's look at Maine's mineral of the moment. Our mineral of the moment is Tourmaline or tourmaline, I think you can say it either way. It's one of the most attractive minerals occurring in Maine. It ranges in color from black or white to vibrant shades of red, green, and blue. The color of the best Maine specimens rivals that of tourmaline from world-famous localities in California, Brazil, Pakistan, and Afghanistan. Individual crystals range from opaque to transparent and may be single or multicolored. There's even a watermelon variety with a green outer layer surrounding a pink core. I always think of it tourmaline as green. Transparent crystals that are clear enough to yield faceted gemstones are highly prized, while lesser grades of this durable mineral are tumble polished for use in various kinds of jewelry. 
well-formed tourmaline crystals in their natural state are also sought by collectors. Tourmalines, actually, it's a group of several different minerals which have similar crystal structures, but complex and variable chemical formulas. The exact species of tourmaline is determined by which of a number of possible elements of, are present. The most common in Maine is shoal, which is a black iron-bearing tourmaline. The colorful but less common species found in Maine is elbate, I think you say, named after the island of Elba, Italy. It occurs as lustrous, elongate crystals, which commonly have a rounded, triangular cross-section and narrow grooves running parallel to the long direction. Uh, first major tourmaline discovery in Maine occurred in 1820 at Mount Mica in Paris, Maine. There we go. The famous story of the discovery by two boys exploring the local countryside was related by Augustus Hamlin in his 1895 book entitled The History of Mount Mica. A quarry that was opened at the site has intermittently produced gem tourmaline and other interesting minerals up to the present day. The Hamlin necklace, containing fine tourmalines of various colors from this quarry, can be seen in the Harvard University Mineralogical Museum. Uh, many other tourmaline deposits have been found in Maine over the years. Sharp crystals of black tourmaline are widespread in pigmatites of Oxford, Androscoggin, Sagadoic, and Cumberland counties. The colored crystals occur mainly in Oxford and Auburn, Poland area. Noting that it's curious that the, the best gem-producing localities lie on a straight line extending southeastward through this part of the state. 1972, a spectacular series of large tourmaline pockets was opened at the Dunton Mine in Newry. Hundreds of pounds of red and green crystals were found, including the Jolly Green Giant, a 10-inch crystal now in the collection of the National Museum of Natural History in Washington, D.C., the state of Maine tourmaline necklace was designed using Newry gems and presented to the state in 1975 by the Maine Retail Jewelers Association. The chain of this necklace was made from gold nuggets panned from the Swift River in Byron, Maine. Large discoveries of gem tourmaline like these mentioned above are rare indeed, but mineral collectors still make occasional finds of nice crystals in the rock piles around pigmatite quarries. Pieces of pink, green, blue, or watermelon tourmaline can be found at places such as the Dunton Mine, Mount Micah, or Black Mountain in Rumford. Collecting is usually allowed at these localities for a small fee. Cut tourmaline gems and crystal specimens are displayed in museums and can be purchased from jewelers or mineral dealers. Isn't that wonderful? Let's go dig for tourmaline today. Well, let's take a quick look at the weather, actually. I think uh, I think we have some good weather coming up. Uh, maybe maybe some rain is actually good weather at this point. Uh, for today, uh, Monday, August 22nd, it will be scattered showers, mainly after 5 p.m., uh, patchy fog before 8 a.m. this morning, otherwise mostly cloudy with a high near 77 Chance of rain is about 30% throughout the state for tonight. Showers and thunderstorms likely before 1 a.m. and then scattered showers. And again, we need the rain. 
For Tuesday, isolated showers before 7 a.m., then scattered showers afternoon, otherwise mostly cloudy with a high near 76. Looking ahead for Wednesday, mostly sunny, high 82. And then Thursday and Friday, uh, sunny with a high in the 80s. That is our podcast for today. This is Down East Mike. I hope that you and your loved ones around you enjoy a day that is full of grace, love, and kindness. And until next time, this is Down East Mike saying we'll see ya. Don't feel sorry for me I'm just a seal on the rocks in Maine Some say I'm sick Because I've got fish on my brain Dolphins at my back. <laughs> <laughs>